Bender, you want to you want to weigh in, or you want me to speculate wildly before you weigh in? <laughs> I'm just gonna speculate wildly as well. So altitude, altitude. Tower twenty-six is really zero, runway four eleven zero four zero at five. Take off. Sea tide. Altimeter zero eyes. We're clear for takeoff. Clear for the airspace. Fiber check. Welcome to another bro chat. This was fun with Vader and Bender from the Kodiak Shack podcast and Paco from the Merge newsletter, which he just launched his own podcast as well. We did this one live. We live streamed it on YouTube. It lives up on the Afterburn podcast YouTube page. You probably want to check that out if you're curious about what we're talking about, because we show some videos and we show some pictures in this episode. But if you're listening, you're just going to have to use your imagination. I'll link it down below if you want to check that out. As always, thanks to my Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast, helping grow exciting things coming in 2023, moving more towards a video first podcast. If you've been following along, you'll see that on my Instagram, rainwaters27. There's more videos up there as well as the Afterburn podcast over on YouTube. And my Patreon supporters, you guys have made it possible by supporting the podcast, allowed me to invest in equipment to bring this hopefully to the next level. So thank you for doing that. Thank you to everyone who's gone over to iTunes and Spotify, dropped a rating, dropped a review. Again, that helps the podcast out. And I'm greatly appreciative for each and every one of you who have just taken the time to go over there and leave a rating review. So if you like this content, you can support the podcast by joining Patreon, get some exclusive content. Or if that's not your thing, no big deal. If you're willing just to leave a rating review, that is a huge thank you. And I appreciate that. All right. With all that being said, let's jump into the episode with Vader, Bender, and Paco. It might only be the four of us watching ourselves. So that's probably what's going to happen. And and here we are. The four best friends (laughs) (laughs) just surviving. Well, welcome to the bro chat. This is the live version. Again, I, I posted it. You guys have posted around and it's, it's going to be epic, but it also is probably going to be riddled with technical difficulties and challenges as we, uh, we tend to roll that way, but I'm excited. This will be fun guys. Yeah. Same yeah. here. Well, I, I like to kick it off because I do have some Patreon questions and I think it would be good to kind of jump around the room if you guys are game for that. And then we can take this to where, wherever our heart's content may lie. Sound good? Yeah. Works for me. Yeah, look, and we're all, I mean, look, everyone's picture is still here. So if you're listening to this, you, you need to swing over to YouTube and check it out because there'll be pictures and videos that accommodate here. But let's, uh, let's kick it off with a couple listener questions. So if you're watching this, it'll pop up here. And for whoever wants it here, but this is a China-Taiwan question. And this is going to be a two-part one because... This is just how we roll so far on the broadcasts, bro chats. But all right, Ukraine, we're talking geography. Because of geography and land borders, Ukraine's allies are able to supply it with weapons and aid to avoid direct confrontation between NATO and Russia. Based on recent Chinese exercises and demonstrations of the sea and air blockades or just general incursions into Taiwan's airspace, if China invades Taiwan, does Taiwan's geography essentially leave NATO and its allies with options? one sanctions or direct confrontation. So this one, um, it's kind of interesting, but you know, NATO's not quite over there, but it's worth talking. And then part two, which I think just ties into it. 
It said it wouldn't be a bro chat if we didn't ask what World World War III would look like. And I think that's appropriate to tie here. So I don't know, Paco, you want to, you want to jump on this one? Sure. Uh, I'll approach it from a different angle though. So uh, we always like to think that the enemy is 10 foot tall and bulletproof and that, that works, that works great when we're, we're training. The reality is, is that, you know, China can't just, you know, invade Taiwan. There's a hundred miles uh, of water to cross, right? So that actually plays to our advantage. They can't just, you know, build a bridge and, and get across. So invading is one thing, actually like having a beachhead, putting forces on the island and then having control of the land. Uh, that is a completely different thing. So it's one thing to attack. It's another thing to actually capture. So I think that actually helps us uh, as, as the United States and Western allies, because when you look at, you know, China is highly dependent on imports, uh, energy. So they, they only produce something like six or 7% of the world's oil. They are highly dependent on oil imports. And so a naval blockade even if you know 30 to 45 days would put extreme pressure on their on their economy when you look at the 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 fact of actually fighting to get people from one you know one side of the the water to the other there's really two ways to do it you're not going to drive a tank from china to taiwan so you either have to uh airdrop it and so you can only do that a little bit at a time and we're probably familiar with that as uh as air force guys uh or you can uh put it on a ship and send it across the straits well there's only certain types of ships that do that. These are like transport ships and loading and unloading ships. These are not like war fighting ships. They're just cargo ships. So turns out cargo ships are not very well heavily defended. And so they become nice, juicy targets. So and because it's just a narrow 100 mile uh, straight and the north south limits are pretty well constrained by the north south limits of the island, uh, it's like a maritime kill box, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> If they, well, not awesome. War is not awesome. <laughs> right. But it, it, it definitely like, constrains the problem uh, in more ways than you would think. So let's leave it at that. Yeah. Interesting. And then you know, the follow up there again, it wouldn't be a bro chat unless we talked about World War Three. So what do you think World War Three might look like? Well, I think the opening salvo is going to start from the air. Actually, it's probably going to start from cyberspace and then the air, and that probably that order. Uh, so it'll be knocking out uh, or restricting uh, communication. So then it'll be infecting and uh, casting doubt on what's reality. So, you, you know, when you go on, when you go get your ATO, like, how do you know that? How do you trust the ATO? Well, you never thought about not trusting the ATO. You just get the, that's the air tasking order for guys who don't know. Uh, so the way you in, start injecting things into your supply chains and, you know, you start sending stuff in the wrong places and you're sending messages that are countering narratives and they're, they look legit, but they're not. And it's not just, the 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 IO campaign that you see out in public, you know, whether it's like chatbots and stuff, but this is like on military networks, just causing havoc. So not just cutting the line, but keeping the line open and just generating so much misinformation that it's just uh, you just have inaction. It's just too much. Like I don't know what to do right now because I don't know what's real. That's how I think it's going to start. Whether it's us on them, them on us. Uh, that's that's how I think the opening salvo is going to go. As far as the air. Uh, what I think is going to happen is what what I think we all would like to happen in every red red flag we go to, which is hey, why do we uh, why do we all marshal in the sky and then like charge at each other across the uh, the range and you know, meet in the middle uh, like redcoats? <laughs> I want because someone just like take out the airfield so they can't take off, or or even better, my my favorite one is uh, you know, get them all in the air 
And then, you know, the blue force just drags and then we take out all of their airfields while they're airborne. And now they have nowhere to land because that puts, there's a sense of urgency of repairing that runway that is probably in excess of the, the fuel that those jets have. So imagine, you know, 200 fighters take off from China and then we go, all right, hit the airfields. And they hit, hit, the, hit the airfields and an hour and a half later, 200 fighters splash down in the ocean because they ran out of fuel. it's a good point good point all right shifting gears here a little bit i think kicking over to vader uh, first and then around the room what is your favorite and least favorite part of the fighter pilot culture that's a good question um man i'd say the my favorite part is is the community and the bros like the the connections that you get with the people that you work with uh because i think there's there's a certain amount of uh, like struggle and, and dedication and hard work that it takes to, to work in the fighter community. And you know that those around you are doing the same thing or you hope they are. Uh, so you get a really, really strong bond. And we were actually talking with someone the other day on the Kodiak Shack podcast about uh, exactly that. Like, how does that compare to the private sector, to other organizations? Uh, and it, it, it sounds like it's there in some ways, but there's definitely an amazing community in the fighter uh, fighter world, which uh, I don't think most people want to give up. Uh, I would say the downside, uh, probably the uh, the ability for the sport complaining. We'll keep it uh, PG, but the uh, where fighter communities like to complain about the things that aren't aren't perfect or aren't as good. So it's the jets are busted or there's no support or all of those things. And that there's a healthy amount of constructive criticism. And then there's just destructive criticism. And I think sometimes people get jaded and they focus only on how bad things are in the organization and they forget about the benefits. And then they look over the fence to the airlines or to somewhere else and they tell themselves, Hey, it's not going to be like that over there. Uh, So I think there's, there's that community which helps build people up, but then, if it becomes poisonous, it can kind of tear people down. Yeah. The cancer definitely spreads. If it gets going down that path, Bender, what do you think? Yeah. I, the community is my favorite part. And then I'll, I'll just add my favorite part of the, I mean, um, this will come up on a Kodiak check podcast later. Cause again, like Vader said, we talked about it, but I love the TDYs in the community. So going out to cool places, doing cool exercises with, uh, you know, your group of best friends is you can't beat it, especially when you're flying awesome jets and stuff. And the stories that you get from that, like the experiences are, it's pretty unbeatable. So that's, I mean, I'll hang on to the fighter pilot to a squadron as best I can uh, for as long as I can keep flying just so I can kind of experience those, those things. And then the, my least favorite part, it's, it's good for you. Definitely. But I hate upgrades. They're like, they're miserable. <laughs> so. Like going through even my instructor pilot upgrade in the F-35. So I'd already been through the really crappy one in the Viper. And the one I did in the F-35 was, I mean, even my my instructors of record, you know, they were like, hey, it's pretty big picture. It's chill. But you just feel that huge weight, you know, that you have to perform to a certain level uh, and that you have to know things that you don't know. So you have to pretend like you know them uh, and dance around for a while. Uh, I hate that. So I'm glad that's kind of all in my past. Hopefully. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a rough part, but it does make you a better pilot for sure. Boom. Paco, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I'd say, uh, echo both of them. Uh, but just to reemphasize, it's like 
you know, if you ever play sports and you ever, uh, you know, you ever get on a championship team and you just kind of hit that rhythm and you have all the right people are driving, they're all doing what they got to do. And the things that you're accomplishing are amazing. And you kind of have that sense of not really, not quite family, but a, a team that stays together, plays together, trains together and wins together has those kinds of uh, fraternal bonds, if you will. And it's, it's awesome because as you know, every three years or so in the fighter pilot community, you move and you get to go to another, another team. Well, it turns out like all the teams been training for the same game and we're all on the same team. We're just, you know, on different, different uh, uniforms and different days. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're all on the same team in the big picture. So it's awesome that you get to be a part of a, an awesome team for people that really are, are putting in their all to do. And, and they're all you know, high caliber performers. Otherwise it wouldn't be there. Uh, which, which is the, uh, which is also the downfall because everyone is in general, a, a pretty top tier performer. Uh, we tend to put in, uh, you know, make it happen, just make it happen. And, and that tends to do two things. Uh, number one, you end up putting in more hours than your families would probably want you to do. And, and the second thing is now it, it, it breeds this kind of disgruntled, uh, you know, with, with finance, you know, finance, uh, you know, did this and you know, that's not right. And you know, if they, if, if we feel legit, like they, you know, write bills and like we'd all die, you know, things like that. It's not helpful, not helpful, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I can't, I remember my uh, tier one assignment as a weapons officer, you know, I, I logged, uh, at least 60 hour weeks for three years straight. So I was probably hitting 70 most of the time. Um, and I remember talking to a, a three-star at the time and he's like, nah, that's not true. I'm like, you want to call my wife? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's definitely a, it's a grind, but man, it's, it's awesome. And I'll tell you that there's four of us on this chat today. Two of us are no longer, uh, flying around active duty. And I'll tell you as a, as a retired guy, you know, it takes a, you know, a couple of months. I remember retired for about six months now and I'm like, Hmm. Yeah, definitely. You definitely have that. Like, I, I really do miss like walking in the squatter and going by the ops desk and, you know, walking through flight equipment, doing your rounds to the vault, see who's in there studying and who's prepping and just, you know, just, you know, wanting to know what's going on and how can I help and, and just trying to learn off of each other and just be better every day. So, yeah. No, that's awesome. All right. Uh, a couple questions have popped in the chat. Yeah, you got to answer the question right well, now. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll do that. And now you know, we get questions. So, uh, with that, I echo the, the bro part of it by far because is the favorite piece for me. You won't find another organization, maybe the fire department, uh, you know, other, other military units, you might have that, but it's such a close knit community. And I think it's evident in the fact that, you know, now in my other job, you can get plopped down next to a guy who flew fighters and you have like an instant bond and a, uh, a rapport based on the shared experiences while they might be separated by decades. You have that. And I think that carries through because that piece of it, where you are having a bad day or having a great day, whatever it might be, you're able to share those experiences and share life at a very deep and connected level. It's not always going to be like the, your, your best friends, you know, here and there, but you make some really meaningful connections that I have not done the same on the outside, right? Like it's, the four, you know, the four of us sitting on the screen, right? Paco and I have never met in person, but again, this is kind of, a, it's a testament of what that community breeds is we have a connection 
and obviously a joint interest in doing something that again, it, it probably exists in other places. I just haven't found it. So, uh, that piece of it. And then, you know, the, the, the downside of the fighter pilot culture, I'd say it's, you know, it's kind of the, it's double-edged sword. The demand and the challenge of it is awesome. It requires a lot of work to be excellent. But on the flip side of that, you are doing 60 hour weeks. You're going TDY last minute. It's a strain on the family, not all the times, but more often than not, like how if you're like, Hey, I got a four thirty brief. And then you're getting home at five or six o'clock, seven o'clock, completely exhausted. And then you're going to do it again and again. And then you're going TDY the next week. That can be really, really a challenge uh, on the family. And so, yeah, I think they, there is an attempt to structure the career path, right? Where you kind of surge in your younger years in the twenties and early thirties, get a break when you go to school and staff, and then you're kind of back as the old hat as a leadership role. But again, um, it's tough to do. That's, that's more, but yeah, the bros be the best part for sure. Hey, so, Wayne, sorry, yeah. sorry to uh, derail our stories open. I was going to kind of expand upon this or do you want to move on? Oh, no, no, no. Well, yeah. We, stories are open. So now, uh, so Bender and I were at Masawa together and we went through, uh, Bender went through flug and then his instructor pilot upgrade there. I went through the flug there. And, uh, so if you are a public speaker and you don't think you have mannerisms, you're wrong. So you have like little, little things that you do that everyone notices who's paying attention, but you, uh, so what I want to do is share a story of Bender's and mine. And then we'll go around and talk about what everybody got called out for. So when Bender and I were in Japan together, the IP, the instructor pilot who's critiquing you would sit there and sometimes seemingly only pay attention to your mannerisms and probably not your brief. So at the end, there'd be like 43 tick marks at the top of the piece of paper. And he'd say, uh, you said and um 43 times. <laughs> then who knows whatever else you said. Uh, so but one of Bender's mannerisms, and I think he still has it, uh, most fighter pilots and uh, people in ops will wear a lanyard uh, around their neck to hold their uh, like credentials and stuff like that. And Bender will hold his lanyard to keep his hands from like moving around. That's his like happy place. Uh, and and mine was I most fighter squadrons have uh, Expo dry erase markers that have like either a piece of uh, plastic or something that they all kind of stick in together. And uh, I would press them together. And the worse the debrief was going, I would press more intensely, <laughs> trying to create a singularity to destroy the entire room. But uh, but yeah, those were those who are uh, ours. I even on my second IPUG, uh, I was at uh, Holloman doing like a, my FTU or formal training course upgrade. And it's the brief. So it's not even the debrief going poorly. And I go to take one pen out. And the all pens, like all four just explode out of there. And uh, Drago was the IP. And I was like, this brief has gone off the rails. Like we're like, you know, 30 some minutes in. I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. But yeah. So Paco, what, uh, what about you? Ooh, well, I spent many, many years on, uh, on the other side of the table. So I was, I was the guy with the, I, I would do that. I would look at the manners and some, you know, count the tick marks and, I do that. And I wait to the, the end of the debrief. I'm like, all right, let's talk about, you know, big picture things. So presence, movement, uh, use of, uh, you know, aids, visual aids. Uh, so people would take the sticks and, uh, you know, point with the sticks like, no, nope, no, nope, pick up the stick, use it for the reference point that you're going to, you know, show that picture and then put it back down. Do not touch it. 
or the, <laughs> the and then you get the the standard stuff that you'd see and i think a lot of the young guys have figured it out uh, these days but you know when you go erase the board you you erase vertically you do not erase horizontally <laughs> there yeah, it, all the little things that are that are comical when you're when you're the one that's the observer but it's yeah you don't even think about it at the time and i and most of those things uh you know i went from uh, a lot of briefing and uh, in tests we don't we don't do the same kinds of uh flight briefs and stuff even in ops or training squadron it's uh you know everyone in the room has at least two thousand hours and they're all either gray patches or blue patches so they're either weapon school graduates or test pilot graduates. It's like, all right, here's the here are the run cards, here's the highlights, here's the admin. Um, all right, and here's how we're gonna do it. Any questions? Like, nope. All right, we'll see you at the desk in 30 minutes. And it, it's a little faster, it's a little longer now, but it's not the 60 to 65 minute brief or whatever, uh, whatever's going on these days. Bender and Vader probably know more about that. Where it's like, hey, you you have a 30 second window to nail this timing of this brief. And you're like, oh <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so and that that comes all kinds of mannerisms. Uh, my favorite, is, I think uh, Vader and I were talking about. It. My favorite is when people uh, get behind. They uh, they're like, "Well, I'm I need to cover every word that I had rehearsed, so I'm just going to talk faster." Yeah. Like, oh boy, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like, no, actually, less is more. If you just just talk to me, man. Like, you're the experienced guy um, in the brief. Like, just relay your experience to me like i don't know what i'm doing that's all you have to do like don't overthink it so it's yeah i'm sure you guys have seen it when it comes to now editing podcasts because i go through and listen oh, what's, what's my word of the day mm-hmm. i tend to find fascinating a just a go-to word in my vocabulary yeah. i need to read a book or two yeah i spent <laughs> uh yeah i spent about the last hour uh going through some of those at the a podcast that i've recorded earlier this week it was uh not fun <laughs> Yeah. Why, why do I sound like such an idiot? That's all right. The time? That's right. That's right. Why do I do that? I, I hate hearing my voice and I hate finding out what word I like to use repeatedly. So translates. All right. I want to jump into the chat here because we do have a few people that have asked questions. We have uh, the first one, which was a little while ago, but uh freebie for anyone. Do American fighter pilots prioritize speed of maneuverability, whereas Russians and Chinese prioritize maneuverability over speed well speed is is kind of relative right uh i would say i don't know i I don't know how to answer that question vendor you got anything uh so i'm not exactly sure what's being asked but i think in what i think is being asked i think russians it was russians right chinese russians there you go uh i don't know like certain jets profile picture (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're built for speed right so they can't do you know they're just built as interceptors so go as fast as humanly possible to try to intercept our bombers or whatever so i think they probably focused more on that uh and maybe you're a little bit later to the game as far as the maneuverability of the fighters i don't know if that's what they're asking our fighters we didn't really it's tough to put either one of those because that's not necessarily the objective. Maybe back, you know, if you're talking the 60s and 70s when you're trying to create lightweight, maneuverable fighters, well, the game's changed. Would you agree today? Like, I mean, stealth, BVR, those type things are now factored into this. So while you need something that's fast maneuverable, yep. I don't know if you can necessarily place it. They've, hey, this is the emphasis for one or the other. Is that fair? I think, 
Yeah, I think if you, you know the difference, the the value proposition of going like Mach one point two tactically and Mach one point five is like nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Then the time to and the time to get to Mach one point five is more valuable than the the speed that you get out of it. I think. Yeah, I guess he followed up with I meant the capability of the planes. They're flying. So I mean, I guess probably everyone is going towards the same type of objective. Like you want to be able to kill. You want to be able to see and kill your enemy sooner, faster. And more than the other guy. So when I think one aspect, we're all viewing it from the planes we flew most likely, but you think yep. like the F-35 is not, it's not a C model. It's not a Raptor. Like it's not an F-16. Like it's not going to bend or correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like it'll accelerate as aggressively, but it's pretty clean. But then you look at like Hornets, like legacy Hornets, even super Hornets, like they are definitely relatively slower than the jets that, that we flew in the air force. So so maybe he's kind of viewing it from that perspective. But yeah, I think, I mean, what do you think, Bender? Is the is the 35 still accelerating and get after it like you remember the Viper doing? Uh, it depends. Not, it does a little bit better of maintaining the speed, better than a Viper did for sure because of, of oh, yeah. how much less drag there is. Uh, so you can get above the Mach and stay above the Mach easier than you could in the Block 50. But a Block 50 is a rocket ship below, you know, 25,000 feet. Yeah. And the F thirty five is still. I mean, the motor in the F thirty five is pretty impressive. Low altitude, like it's a lot of thrust. Um, the maneuverability there is definitely a difference between a Viper's maneuverability and a F thirty five's. There's a reason we, you know, people call it Fat Amy. So <laughs> it's, it's good. It's not like a, you know, I don't know. I've never flown a Strike Eagle or an Eagle, but I imagine it probably. I've heard that it flies like a Strike Eagle, probably with you know. Yeah, and a, and a Strike Eagle never met a knot it couldn't bleed off. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey uh juice is here so throwing a compliment out there juice hey. so name name drop juice i mean he he was a bro i think he's getting a super braided belt now so congrats to juice for making us uh, jalapeno corn nice <laughs> yeah. yeah i missed that too <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah i have a, a disability from jalapeno corn also, <laughs> I, get, I get paid for all the jalapeno corn i ate the best yeah. part is like when you walk into the squadron and someone has made it so well that you're coughing because you're just inhaling the, the jalapeno vape. If you like will. down the, the hallway co- too. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. collective reaction is not like, Oh my God. It's like, Oh, that's a good batch. Man, yeah. my eyes are watering. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that half cough, like yeah. <laughs> good core, good core. Yeah. And then kind of walk out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks juice for <laughs> dropping in. Definitely a bro. Let's see. Um, let's see. Is there mission planning software that can be used to run the brief? Yes and no, yes. in my experience. So the, the problem you run into, it's, it's where you want to spend your time. And uh, what I've seen is there's like BRI or wedge or, or anything else. And these are just like pretty much PowerPoints. They're PowerPoints with hyperlinks to different sections. But the problem is most of your briefs are relatively focused in specific areas, meaning that like you're either going to spend time prepping a whiteboard to draw on it and your airspace and your desired learning objectives and what you're going to be fighting, or you're going to prep a PowerPoint and then you're just going to click through slides versus write it on the board. So it kind of depends on the person, what they would prefer uh, to use. That's at least in my experience. What do you guys think? Yeah, I've gone, uh, I've seen back and forth and it's, it's interesting to see it over time, the, the pendulum swings. Uh, 
where you have some squadrons have gone like, hey, let's just have standardized briefing guide. Like, okay. And so everyone kind of, this is the standard. Everyone just starts briefing off the standard. Well, then what happens over time is that no one actually explores the space between those lines that are written on a piece of paper. And then everyone starts to become, you know, tactically stupid or they're not, they forget how to teach or they forget how to learn. And it is a process. It's experiential learning. It's the same reason why, you know, we have teachers in schools to teach our children. It's the same thing. You have to be in an environment that's conducive to presenting material and being able to interact with the student to then have that collective understanding. And you go out and you demonstrate it and show it. And then you come back and then you debrief it to get smart. So that's the, the cycle of learning in a fighter squadron requires that you, you tailor that experience up front with the brief and then you go fly your plan and then you go debrief it to the standard from the brief. And this is for all fortune fighters. Cause I imagine Bender just sits there, closes his eyes and then they just like absorb whatever it is they're doing. It's like the matrix. Just, yeah. Yeah. just ones and zeros are just staring at the screen. <laughs> I mean, why else does he have a, that's why the $400,000 helmet's for. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little pin that injects behind the air so it's painful, but not too uh, I think the brief, the brief process, I don't know. And all the things that we do, I think the mission planning process is really good. Uh, and that's really where you like, if you do it well, you dope out, you know, all the, the contracts that you need to do and the things you need to think about. I would say, I don't know. I'm not a great briefer. Actually, I'm a terrible briefer. Gotta be honest. Um, <laughs> And I'm a terrible receiver of briefs also. Like I don't pay attention to almost anything that is said. Um, you know, I, there are questions that I have as he's talking and I'm just like trying to figure it out on my own. You know, as I'm sitting there, like, what am I going to do at this moment so that I am not the, the limb fact of the story? Um, <laughs> ben, not Bender, completely... Bender, just want to highlight, this is a confession and everyone in your squadron is going to be able to see this. So. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. They already hired me. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> I'm under contract. <laughs> uh, i'm just not convinced that the brief is as important as we as as the time i spend on it so i don't spend a whole lot of time on the brief. The debrief process i think is one of the gems of the fighter pilot culture is how well we debrief things and you do need to have a you know a decent brief so that you can go back and you know find fault in it if there are issues to it or whatever but the debrief process is where money is made i think in, in a fighter pilot squadron that makes you get better and that you know that really makes those units such high performing units so the brief and eh, you could use whatever powerpoint you could use whatever you want i'm going to pay attention to like 13 things that you say and then we're just going to go fly when i i think that's that's a exactly what the goal of a brief should be is focus on the highlights, like where I remember I had like 10 minutes to brief DCA when I was at McIntyre, it was just a sim, but they were like, Hey, 10 minutes and we're leaving. And I was like, all right, here are the four things that always get messed up. And really that's kind of what a debrief or a brief could be, you know, it could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 minutes, but it's, we just fill it with the, Hey, you have eight to 12 minutes of uh, to and from, and then you have 50 minutes of tactics and tactical admin. And uh, yeah. I think it could be less, but that varies depending on the, the experience level, kind of like what Paco was saying, you know, you're in the test world, world and everybody has 2000 hours, like brief's probably not that important, but it's like an MQT kids first ACM sortie. Yeah. And you have enough experience with the, with the young guys, you can go, all right, I'm going to tell you, you're going to screw this up. We're going to tell you how you're not going to screw it up. You're going to screw it up anyways. 
Right. And then we're going to come back <laughs> and I'm going to show you on the tape. But I'm just telling you, like, this is the thing that everyone is going to screw up. And so pay attention. Like, oh, and then they screwed up anyway. But that's yeah. part of the learning process. And he even told me it was going to happen. Wow. Yeah. That's no, me. You see it to, enough. Yeah. I have to learn the hard way. I'm like, I know I'm going to mess this up. And they're like, you're going to mess this up. And I mess that up. Yeah. This, yeah there's, there's certain truisms with that. Yeah, Vader, you've gotten now two comments <laughs> about your stash. Yes, one, one, appreciate uh, it. The last one said that you're now an honorary fireman. So I'm not sure what that means, but uh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, thank, thank you, Chris. Is. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, and I'm <laughs> I'm far too soft to be a firefighter. That's uh, that's I could I couldn't hang with you guys. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I, I see I see Bender's working on it over there. Yeah, it's a little embarrassing, honestly, to be out here with the mustache. But I was just TDY, so I grew it out. I mean, I just gotta own it for a little while. But I I can't grow what Vader's got going on. I do have some just for men that my wife purchased me yesterday, so we'll try that out. Maybe add a little volume to it. There you see go. what we get. Yeah, look, see juice. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Yeah, look at that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got to, there's two more questions and I do want to jump into some topics, but I think it'll lend into it. The uh, first one is let's talk about the Viper since it's such a good dog fighter. Is there any merit to the idea of pulling the cockpit out or pulling the person out of the cockpit and life support out of it and just putting more fuel in there, strengthen the airframe, make it 10G capable? Slap a bunch of ETOS, which F-35 magic there with the, the sensors and giving it remotely piloted aircraft capability, throw, you know, some airmen in Nevada and make it a re- remote wingman. I think this will, this will, this will pair into some of the things we can talk about. So make them drones, yes. that would yes. be missile sick. trucks. So we talked to uh, Cowboy Sirdar who works for, he was a previous Viper guy. Now he works for SpaceX. Um, he was medically retired from the Air Force, but. That's a uh, upcoming episode of the Kodiak Shack podcast, so don't miss it. But he, uh, when he, before he went to SpaceX, he worked for Meta on their, whatever, VR goggles, Oculus, right? I think that's what it's called. Anyway, he said at one point they, part of their development process was they wanted to take one specific aspect of VR goggles, like the resolution for one, or like how wide the field of view could be. Um, What were the other ones? Like the processing speed. Anyway, so each team was working on just one specific thing. So it didn't matter. None of the other requirements mattered to that particular team's project. So one team, you know, the field of view is only like an inch by an inch or whatever, but the resolution was like 8K. So it was like real life. The other one, you know, the resolution wasn't good. The field of view wasn't good, but the processing power was instantaneous, basically. And then the other team had a field of view regard or whatever that was 160 degrees. You know, so it was like amazing, even though the resolution wasn't good and the whatever wasn't good. But their goal was to to get as good as possible in each particular aspect and then to start merging those capabilities together. And you could do that with, uh, with an FC, if you pulled the cockpit out of an F-16, so you get rid of the seat, you get rid of some of the avionics and ECS limitations for some of that weight, then you could put thrust vectoring or something on it. And it could be, um, you know, it could be the best thrust vectored fighter. And then one of them, you could just slap sick jammers on it and then it can just crush a lane. Um, with jamming anyway you could do that kind of a project where you just like make the best possible um dirt from jamming or the best possible maneuverability with thrust vectoring anyway it'd be pretty cool to do that with uh if you had if i was an f-35 and i had three drone vipers on my wings and each one had some specialty that it could you know just rage with that would be that would be pretty pretty full up so i am all on board with turning old vipers into drones and making them awesome boom 
Yeah, Paco, what do you think? I feel like you have pretty good insight into this. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole too far. What yeah. I will say is, is we... we <laughs> We do have those today. Uh, they're called QF-16s. We use them as targets. Um, so, yeah, boo. Uh, I've, I've shot plenty of them down. Uh, boo, even more. I'm like, yeah. I, can, I can cut this user from this chat. Yeah. <laughs> the point is, uh, yeah, it's been done. We've converted them. We fly them out of Florida um, as uh, aerial targets. They, they have a, it's something like a 250 or 300 hour design life after they come out of mod. Uh, they fly manned most of the time, and then they have, I think they're called nullo emissions, which they take the person out and it's remotely controlled. And then when it gets to the end of its life, it does its, uh, its one-way one uh, trip and it's got a, a kill authorization for it. So we actually get to terminate the missile. We don't terminate the missile, we let it actually hit the, hit the QF-16. But yeah, it's, uh, when you look at ACP, CCAs, man-to-man -man teaming, uh, crew to crude teaming, depending on who you are in the Pentagon, um, there's a, there's a lot of promise there with that. And there's a lot of people thinking about it and, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a thing. This is so, uh, this is what I think about that whole process is we talk about, okay, we're going to unmothball all these F-16s. We're going to refab and change all these things up. We're probably going to have to refly them to certify them for flight. Uh, but the reality is like everybody who has seen a depot input in return, no offense to the depot. Uh, but the reality is like these, these like refab timelines are always wrong. So, you know, they say, Hey, in two years, we could take every single one of them and make them a CCA or whatever. The reality is like, I don't know, maybe an order, order of magnitude longer or something like that. Like it no. is. Oh. Yeah, you're right. The uh, the QF-16 that I talked about, the mod line for that is in uh, it's in Cecil Field, Florida, and the the con the cost and time to mod those jets. They've actually the Air Force is, uh, has terminated the contract, and they're gonna, they're going <laughs> to stop buying them because it costs so much money to modify the aircraft that we already own just to make it unmanned. And this isn't like autonomy. This is like a someone on the ground is controlling it. So. It is not a cost-effective thing. That's why there's a program called the Next Gen Aerial Target, which is a is an unmanned thing that they're trying to develop. So, uh, it it sounds like a great idea, but in execution, it's way more complicated and way more expensive than you think. And just so everybody like really realizes what we're saying, because of the way we do things in the DoD, it is cheaper to build a brand new zero-hour product to destroy than to mod a current product. And I don't know, I'm not an engineer, so I don't get why it's so difficult, but it seems like it shouldn't be that. That's just me. What's crazy is the fact that Boeing had that contract to do that modification on a Lockheed Martin F-16 yeah. or General Dynamics F-16. The funny aspect and tie to this is doing demo, my maintenance superintendent ended up becoming a lieutenant and would have been perfect in the maintenance field, right? With like 20 almost 20 years of maintenance experience in the F-16, the Raptor, et cetera. So the Air Force says, no, we're going to send you to acquisitions. <laughs> what they didn't realize is they sent him down to acquisitions in Florida. And then he ended up being the guy dealing a lot with that contract. So he could actually go there and hold their feet to the fire and say, this is BS, but also we can see where it's going. So it is interesting how the, the process works. Somewhat, infuri yeah. <laughs> Somewhat infuriating. <laughs> Would uh, would that be a good segue into sixth generation fighters? Sure, we can talk about that if you want. Yeah, I'll call up. I have okay. some questions. 
Yeah. Questions. We won't be able to answer any of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speculate wildly. We'll speculate. Well, we'll speculate a bit. There, there's a few things you can say. First of all, uh, just to start, there's no definition of a sixth generation fighter. Additionally, the the definition, the actual term of a fifth generation fighter was a made up marketing term by Lockheed Martin. And then everyone started using it. And then we had to define it because they used it so much. Uh, so we'll start there. And then we, were, we went backwards and said, well, if that's a fifth generation, like, how did you get to that? Here's a fourth generation. Here's a third. Here's a second. All right. So what, what differentiates a sixth generation fighter from a fifth generation fighter? I think the three things that you can probably hang your hat on is uh, they don't have tails. And the reason I don't have tails is they're, I would say that every sixth gen fighter concept that's that's out there is tailless because it's it's looking to uh, maximize a wideband spectrum management, not just a narrow. It's it's not just stealth in a narrow aspect, narrow, narrow frequency. So I think that's probably one thing. Um, the other stuff is the stuff you won't be able to see, which is uh, open systems architectures to be able to plug and play different things into the aircraft um, and software updates that are that are easier than what they are now. And then uh, the last one is uh, digital twins. So you'll have you'll be able to iterate on designs um, in a you know computer environment, uh, and then your sim is a physics-based sim that's kind of based on that. And so you you have a a you know cradle to grave model that's living and evolving with the aircraft, and each aircraft has its, has its own individual model. So when you go to like depot and phase, it's, you have like a digital model of how that airplane is is growing and evolving and you know the maintenance issues and things over time and that that leads to things like predictive maintenance and uh, dynamic phase and you know the end result all that nerdy stuff is that you're going to get a better a better performing uh, aircraft with higher availability rates with you know mission systems that are more reliable Where that's is what i think yeah, I mean, so NGAD, right? Next generation air dominance fighter. That's yeah. I mean, what we're talking about. Where is that? Like, where are we in that timeline? Uh, well, I don't want to tell you about that. Um, some of these things I was heavily involved in. Some uh, I I can I can look up on Wikipedia. But what I can say. Uh, so so here 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 you go. What's Wikipedia say? Yeah. How many? <laughs> this is actually a better question. Uh, the world is changing. We said the world is rapidly changing. It is rapidly changing. How many? Six generation fighter programs do you guys think are actually in play right now in the world? Four. Four? Six. I know there's two in Europe, right? There's like a European Union one and then a British one. And yeah, us. So yeah, that, that's pretty close. So they're actually, you're all so, somewhat correct. So there, uh, there's five right now. There used to be six, which is actually right, kind right. of recent news, which is why we're like, hey, we could talk about the bro chat. So the, uh, the first two are U.S. programs. There's the NGAD, Next Generation Air Dominance. That's the Air Force program. There's NJAD. That's a soft G. Same acronym, just a soft G, and that's the Navy. So, of course, they had to name it the same, the same thing, which is a hard G versus soft G. Uh, go figure. Uh, then there's FCAS, which is the Future Combat Air System. That is, that is one of Europe's programs. That's France, Germany, and Spain. And the news on that is they actually just signed the contract this last week to move on to the next phase of development. That thing isn't going to be fielded to 2040, though. That's a long ways off. But it does have some very ambitious, uh, very public, actually, uh, man-on-man -man teaming initiatives. Airbus 
believe it or not, of all people, is pretty far ahead. They're one of the lead uh, primes on that. And they have, they have, they just did a really sweet man-on-man teaming demo like last week. Actually, it was this week. I think it's going to be in the merge tomorrow as one of the, the links. Uh, nice. So they took, a, they took a, an A400 mic, which is a, like a C-130 type aircraft. And they had, a, uh, Airbus has a, a target drone business. They're called the DO uh, DT-25s. And they actually air deployed them out the back of the, the cargo ramp while it was flying. And then they had a Learjet actually take control of them. Was, and so one Learjet was controlling five of these uh, flying on, around and operating autonomously. So that was kind of cool. With Airbus zusammenarbeiten. There you um, go. I, ich Look at that. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, there it is. And they a lot of German, German speaking there, yeah. so. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Out, out the back it goes. Out the back it goes, yeah. That's pretty cool. Pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. fancy. All right. So when, I look, so when I look at that picture, and I don't know how far we can get down this uh, road, uh, how's the maneuverability? Obviously, I look at it and I, I feel like that looks like a fighter. Like, are we building these with the assumption that they need to be able to turn, they need to be able to BFM? Or are we building these... Uh, under the idea that, hey, we're not going to have to do that because the technological advances. Uh, you talking about the one that's on the screen right now? Yeah, this the yeah this one, whatever that one's supposed to be. Yeah, so so this is the other news. That is China's sixth development, uh, sixth generation fighter. <laughs> oh man, yeah. How about that? So that's a that's a clear mock-up that they uh, they showed on an air show last month. It's been in the in the in the Chinese white papers and R and D stuff for the past about two years. Uh, so. I would expect to surprise it'll probably surprise everyone when it starts flying probably 10 years ahead of what you know intel says because that's been the that's been the, the track record lately with <laughs> chinese tech development is they're they're way faster than anyone ever thinks so uh yeah some of those are are way more maneuverable than you would think um yeah so let's leave it at that they might not look that maneuverable but they're they're probably a little more maneuverable than you think uh and unlike a like a b21 or a b2 which are uh, subsonic only designs, you know, those, those actually can go supersonic. So there's a speed and a maneuverability kind of baked into it without a tail, yeah. which makes it a sixth generation fighter. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. The, uh, the other one that's in, in Europe is, um, well, was, so there's a program called Tempest, which was the UK, Italy, and Sweden. Um, and that was to replace the Typhoon on a 2035 timeline. And then there's another program, put a pin in that for a second. There's another program in Japan. It was called the, it's the Mitsubishi FX. It doesn't have a name. It's basically supposed to replace their F2s, which is like your, uh, your Viper cousin out there with the canopy bow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what happened was uh, the UK, Italy, and Sweden um, reached, they were doing some collaboration with Japan already for some um, co-developing engines for their separate programs and a few other things. And finally, like, hey, why don't we just like build one fighter together? And so this past, uh, this past like 10 days or so, uh, all the countries have agreed to merge those two next gen fighter programs into a new one. And this new program is now called the GCAP, the global combat air program. So that's all your, your, your next generation fighter stuff for the, the, the week. There's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. We did have a question, uh, B-21 unveil, and I know we, we showed us a quick picture of it. They want a 30,000 foot view. Paco, I know you and Ward Carroll did kind of an in-depth talk about it. Uh, you guys want to share some thoughts on 
B21 Raider? Yeah, um, it's small. It's uh, it's relatively cheap, and it's it's not next gen. So <laughs> it's not a next gen bomber. There's a there's a program called the next gen bomber that got killed, and that and this is the result of it. Which is, don't make it don't make it too good. Just just refresh what we already have, and, and we need to do it fast. We need to do it cheap. And so the the big part of this program is that if we apply the same solid um, engineering principles and what we've learned from design out of the B2. And then we just raid the parts bins of everything else that we have already spent money developing like F 35 engines. We can just put that in the B 21. We don't need a new engine. Um, the landing gear looks like it comes off of a, a actually a, a Boeing airliner. Uh, so in, in the radar is probably something that's already, you know, it's a Raytheon or Northrop product. The, the EW systems probably, you know, a BAE system or something like that. Whole point was, you know, the, Spend the money on reducing risk for engineering the things that's hard, which is like, let's build a brand new airframe. Like that's actually pretty hard. We don't do that very often. And then let's, let's risk reduction is reuse everything else. So we don't have to, to, to make it too hard. And that was one of those struggles with you know, the F-22 program, the F-35 program, you know, the F-35 it's, uh, you know, it's not the contractor's fault that the, the requirements were, I want, I want an aircraft that do all of these things. And to do that, I need a new ejection system. I need a new engine. I need a new avionics system. And so it has it had so many new things all going on at once. Um, and that had concurrency for development on top of that. But the B-21, it is a, um, it was a cost plus development and a fixed price production contract. So it's a dual contract. That the, the only thing you need to know about that is that the cost to do the engineering and the R&D, uh, it goes to the government. So whatever it costs Northrop to do it, it's cost plus. So it costs us this much and they give them, you know, 10 or 11 percent on top and go, that's that's what we're going to pay you. When it flips to production, those are fixed price contracts. And so the when the program was was started, when NGB died, next gen bomber died, an LRSB long range uh, strike bomber. Um, when that started, it had a fixed price back in 2010, which is why all the price estimates you see say $550 million in $2010. That's why, because it was a, it was a capped uh, program, which forced a lot of design and engineering choices, which is why you don't see new engines, you don't see new landing gear. And so they're going to spend the money on the airframe. I appreciate it on uh, your newsletter, the Merge newsletter. If you're not following it, you should start. Uh, but the at the b 2.1 cuz when i looked at it i was like i don't i'm not my eyes are not watered you know so i i'm wondering <laughs> what i'm missing you know i assume the guts are better than it but you know yeah i feel like we don't we don't want to just have one problem to solve uh because then it kind of makes us easy to defeat so is this it was calling this a sixth generation bomber just a marketing ploy i mean that's what everybody assumes right there's no no real yeah shifting capabilities or yeah it goes back to the what i said about the fighter all right that's a made up like that is a made up northrop term for the for this and if you and i saw the article where they they started talking about that and they basically uh anchored on the things that we talked about open systems architecture and digital twins that's that's how they're defining a sixth generation uh, bomber huh so what what about the next generation weapons i want to talk about that i don't know if i'm derailing this thing for you rain but i you know i'm i know the things i know but i'm not comfortable i don't know what is in the merge newsletter about that stuff so talk to me about 
the next weapons we get because they are crappy right now. Yeah, they're uh, they could be better. Turns out, um, yeah, we indexed heavily on the on the AMRAM, and then you know it's a great weapon, but it was uh, it's doing things it was never designed to do. But it's it's kind of hit is uh, its engineering limit. Uh, energetics and physics uh, are actually things that we have to do with, right? When when you build an air force around the AMRAM, um, that that induces other problems, which then gets us into um, external carriage weapons and things like that, which. Now you get into the stealth versus uh, F-35 versus F-15EX and all those other things. Uh, suffice to say, I think that you're going to see, uh, actually, there's a, a thing called uh, NDIA, the National Defense Industrial Association. I should know this. Uh, I was actually a moderator on their panel at the Air Armament Symposium down here where I live in Florida uh, about a month ago. Uh, and I moderated the panel on, on next-gen weapons for about a, an hour and a half or so. So, uh, yeah, I'd say that it's it's modular weapons. Um, so think uh, there's a couple of com- concepts out there. One of them um, that's floating around in the public is you could take a, maybe you have a two-stage or optional stage weapon. So I have a, think of an AMRAM with a, with a booster. It has a second stage. But that booster, if you wanted to put it, you know, on a fourth gen on the wings, because you don't carry about internal carriage, you could put the booster on. You can take the booster off and you can put it inside a fifth gen. And then the, the time to do that's, you know, 30 minutes. So you just take the booster off. So your supply chain becomes pretty streamlined and your, your options of what you can do with that weapon becomes pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Uh, the other thing I think is that I appreciate what China has been doing with their weapons. Uh, as it turns out, you know, when you, you can, you know, I, I've lost track. They've, I've had so many new missiles come out in the past like seven years, uh, but say there's four, even if there's four new missiles and where everyone's kind of going crazy trying to figure out, you know, what can it do, what it can't do, what are the limitations, how I would develop tactics. You don't know what missiles on what rail on what aircraft. And so you plan for the worst. And so they might have one, like one missile, but man, I tell you what, everyone is treating them like they, like they're everywhere. Um, and it's just like when we fly, you guys probably see like these like LFEs and like, oh, this is the aircraft and this is the weapon it has. Like, how do you know that? Like, you're not going to know that. Uh, what we plan for the worst, which is, which is, I mean, it's a mass because you got to do it, but there's definitely a strategy around fielding multiple weapons with multiple different attributes. You know, I I'd like to see a, a short range, very fast weapon. I'd like to see a long range, you know, <laughs> yeah, I like to see a lot of things. We don't, we haven't invested in weapons. Um, I, I think the, uh, you know, nine 11 probably, you know, took the air force's eye off the ball for air superiority for, for 15 to 20 solid years. Uh, and that's, and we're playing catch up right now as a result. The, uh, well, speaking of the comment that we just saw, I got to do a, um, TDY to, uh, AFRL and they are working on a airborne laser platform, uh, from a fighter sized aircraft. And, uh, it is a capability that will be out there, uh, but it probably won't be in the way that people would like it to be or expect it to be. Uh, so cool, but uh, it's not going to solve all of our problems. That's for sure. Turns out uh, I'm not an engineer, but there's there's a lot of problem sets when it comes to heating things to death with a laser. <laughs> yeah, freaking lasers. Yeah, I'm, I'm tracking that program. I think it's called Shield. If I remember right. It's, yeah, uh, well, they yeah they had the Hell Pod, the high energy yep. laser pod. Yeah, with them. Yeah. What was, was the program in the seven four seven back like fifteen years ago? Oh I mean, yeah, the that entire seven forty seven was a 
laser. Yeah, airborne laser. Yeah, there that you was go. The, yeah. the whole plan. And that was uh, a plane. It was a jumbo yeah, jet. Yeah, and I had a had a laser uh, dome, uh, not dome, uh, gimbal on the on the nose. And then the entire jet was basically, I think it was a chemical laser, was all of the chemicals to actually make the reaction to, to create the energy for the laser. And the idea was that 747 would just be orbiting and it could shoot down the single ICBM, you know, coming in from like right. North Korea. One uh, time. One, 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 one time. One time. One and uh, done. Yeah, one and done. Uh, yeah, lasers well, are, uh, are great right now for uh, defensive. Offensive is, uh, is, a, is a problem because, uh, again, physics, you have dissipation and jitter and, and when you need, you need power and dwell time and things to actually get the effects of the laser on that specific you know, point. So even a little bit of a jitter uh, moves that laser energy around enough where now it's not actually getting to the heat that it needs to to actually uh, destroy it to get a, a kinetic kill. Yeah, lasers, lasers are going to be cool, but mostly defensive probably for the next 20 years. Well, and then you think about you're trying to laze things that are literally built to heat up and yeah. dissipate energy well. So you're like, shoot, yeah. this, is, this is a tough yeah. problem. I want, use a laser to, I want to use a laser to shoot down the Mach 25 nuclear warhead from space. Yeah. Yeah. How's it's that going to work warm, out for you? Yeah. yeah it's pretty but, warm. And if anybody's, uh, if anybody hasn't seen the movie real genius with Val Kilmer. Oh Kimmer, yeah. That's great. It's a great movie. It, uh, the 747, <laughs> it's all about lasers. So if you want to learn about lasers, that's where I got my knowledge. That <laughs> is probably the first movie. I think that's the first movie that has to be one bomber. Uh, it, they use the B one bomber with the laser in the in the Bombay. That's the uh, and you know if you haven't seen the movie, guess what? It's old enough. So spoiler alert: they uh, they shoot the laser at a big big ball of popcorn and blow up a guy's yeah. house, which yeah. is uh, yeah, a Val, Val, one of Val Kilmer's uh, better movies. That's why you need target ID. You know they were <laughs> trying to lay something else. They didn't even realize they were lazing the house instead. That's right. Uh, speaking of the B one, did it survive the NDA? What what was its impact this year? <laughs> Man, yeah, but I think I think the uh, last year they had a really big win. Well, depending on what side you're on, uh, of divesting some of the B1s. I think that was about 19 or so, 16 or 19. We'll call it that. Uh, and I don't think this year that they uh, committed to retiring any more. I think that was the deal. It's like get, let's get rid of these and we'll wait until the B21 comes online. And then the B1s are the are the first jets to to go to the boneyard. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> when the B21 comes online. <laughs> So I don't think there was, for bombers, I don't think there was any changes. There was a lot of changes in in everything else, though. Um, So we can talk about that if you want. The world's our oyster. Okay. You guys want to talk about the the fighters? So um, the, there's 114, I have it written down here, 114 fighters uh, were, are approved to be divested with an asterisk. There's 21 A-10s, 26 F-16s, and 67 F-15s with an asterisk uh, that requires a report to deliver a plan uh, is it because it's pretty evident that it doesn't appear to be a plan <laughs> of what we're doing with the F-15 fleets right now. Shocking. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Right. Wait 12 months and someone else is in charge and then it'll change again. So they're trying to, uh, to avoid that. So the, uh, if you guys aren't tracking the, uh, the Kadena, there's a lot of politics around the Kadena unit uh, shutting down for F-15, F-15Cs. They have two squadrons that were there. The Air Force pulled them back uh, with intention to uh, retire those tails because they're getting old and worn out. And for numerous reasons, the Air Force fighter fleet is old and falling apart. 
Um, some of it's Congress, some of it's the Air Force. But uh, at the end of the day, the plan is to just cycle rotational rotations of deployed units up there to kind of cover that uh, cover that gap. Whether or not it's a good idea, we can have another conversation about that. Then there's the F-15EX politics, which is we're going to buy it. The Air Force didn't want it. Uh, the Air Force is buying it. Now the Air Force wants to buy more than they planned this year so they can actually stop buying them sooner, which is now creating another huge headache uh, with Congress. And then in the background, you have the, the F-15E, uh, which, is, which is getting very, very... Uh, it's quickly aging out and it's starting to fall apart too. So that's going to be probably the... That's the the thing that no one's talking about is when that community falls apart uh, because the oxygen in the room is consumed by everything else going on. Uh, that's going to be a fun conversation. The uh, you, do you guys remember what the high time like vipers that you flew were like? How many hours those jets had? I think it was eight and some change, maybe nine. Yeah, because I want to say you know, like the, I always I kind of joke the uh, the gambler uh, squadron jet was. 353 because I had a MIG shoot down. It wasn't 377. But that one went on every single deployment and it had like 9,000 hours. Like whatever, I think it was, I would say it, it It was the first one to go over uh, over the line there to then require the, what's it, service life extension, the SLEP? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So just boring a lot of holes over Afghanistan, Iraq, and the Middle East year after year after year after year. Yeah, we're yeah, literally jets. flying the wings off that we say like, oh, you're flying the wings off the planes. Like, no, no, you really are. The the high time strike eagle, the the high time F-15E um, is tail 487. And I know this because I just checked yesterday of how many hours it had. You guys have any idea how many hours it has? Well, what was it initially designed for? Uh, well, the F-15 was initially designed for 4,000 hours, which that's so it's going to be like 12,000. 12, 12, that's yeah, called cool. 13. 14,400. Jeez. Yeah. It's, yeah. When we say the jets are getting old, that's a lot of hours on a fighter. And even if it's not pulling a lot of G's, it's carrying a crap ton of weapons and fuel for that many hours. So it might not be pulling the G's all the time from, uh, you know, Middle East stops, but it's definitely carrying the weight. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Well, and you think what was, because the F 16 was originally a 2,000 hour platform. And then I think that was like the A model. And then I think the C model was like three or 4,000 hours. So we're, we're over doubling the hours on these planes that they were ever supposed to have. It's fine. It's like four or six bolts holding each wing on. So that's right. Nothing. It turns out. Yeah. It's like the V 52 turns out when you, when you take away the computer and you have like a calculator and a slide ruler and a pencil, you're going to probably over engineer some stuff for mom and the kids. Right. So we're, we're reaping the benefits of people not having computers back then. Now, as we design things that are that are so streamlined and so efficient, um, the ability to slept things, I think, is going to start to go away. Yeah, I mean, just look like you know a T thirty seven or a T thirty eight. Like you know the T thirty eight or T thirty seven, you could bang that on the ground, bump wings <laughs> midair during you know the morning go, and then fly in the afternoon. Like if you did that with a T six today, like that's a class A. That plane's probably not flying for months. You know, best case scenario. Oh yeah, if it gets a bee sting, I mean, it's down for maintenance. <laughs> yeah, it's it's over. It's over. <laughs> so uh, yeah, not not a good thing. But the uh, speaking of uh, the hard landings, the uh, F thirty five the other day, the Bravo. The, uh, oh yeah, let's talk about that. Look at yeah. the video. Here we go. Yeah, look at that. Why is that smoke coming out the back? Everybody else noticed that. Yeah, yeah. That's like just, on the initial. Uh, like yeah, it's, once the motor like rotates in the vertical you kind of 
You kind of see like, it. Yeah, like right yeah, there when it's hovering. Yeah. I wonder yeah, if that was like a vape or some kind of like environmental condition or if that's. I'll give you really. my theory. Yeah. When this is over. So for the uh, for the Oops. listeners who are tuning and don't know, uh, there's three different F35 oh, versions. Um, here's how I keep it straight. There's the F35 A, B and C. OK, the A goes to the Air Force. The C goes to C. So it's with the Navy. And then the B buzzes around like a B, so that's the vertical one. So this is the this is the F thirty five B that we're talking about. Uh, that's the only way I can keep the three of them straight. Bender, you probably uh, you fly the F thirty five A, so you, you probably have a more uh, professional way to keep those straight. But, is it like Fat Amy, Fatter Amy, Fattest Amy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. I yeah. don't see can fold their wings. That's that's about all I. But they, those are big wants. wings. I mean, wouldn't you yeah. like those wings look like they would uh, they would do you some good. Those big old fat C model wings. The problem is yeah. you lose gas and you lose, you know, what I'm saying. If the, and this is why I was like, you know, you go back to like, well, but why couldn't the F-35A just have the size of the wings of the C? Like, I don't care if it folds or any of that crap. I just want the, the wing design. Like, why do we why do we take the B wings and put it on the A and not the C style? But. Uh, yeah, I have a long list of what ifs. <laughs> what ifs? <laughs> Why does my canopy open backwards? Like blame oh the Marines. Blame yeah. the Marines. It's yeah. pretty much for everything. Yeah, yeah. this thing right here, this fifth generation hovering fighter doing helicopter things. Like jets are not meant to hover. That was I saw it in a group chat. I got when this happened. Like, yep, it's like the it's like the scarier. I've seen enough scarier landings to last a lifetime when I was uh, in the Marines. Hey, if you bring up bring up the other picture of the F thirty five B like powertrain, not that one. Uh, That's oh, yeah. pretty cool. Here we go. Well, here's the powertrain. Yeah. Okay, so here here's my theory, complete theory. Um, you so, Vader, you mentioned that that puff of smoke, and then you saw it kind of the, it lost power in the front, and the or increased power in the back. Well, we know it probably didn't increase power in the back because it's it's in the mode it's in, right? And that that is a significant power differential that caused it to do that. So what I think happened is it had a, a slightly hard landing. So you, you saw it bounce a little bit off the deck. And what I think happened, if you look at the forward duck fan, there's a, that shaft, that forward shaft that connects it to the front of the, the turbine engine. There's, a, there's like a carbon clutch that connects those two. So what I think happened is the hard landing uh, broke that part of the drive shaft. And then when it broke, that got in two things happened. It got ingested into the engine, which is where the smoke came out the back. And then because it's no longer connected to the engine, the duck, the forward duck fan is no longer producing lift. And that's where the jet kind of does its thing. Yeah, that's actually interesting. Because you do see, yeah, you see the smoke and then you see it. Poof, yeah, right there. So now I'll, uh, Bender, you want to you want to weigh in, or you want me to speculate wildly before you weigh in? I'm just gonna speculate wildly as well. So, but I think I think Pago's probably right. My my guess is that there, or someone that I just talked to who does the depot maintenance for these, so they, he thinks that there was a, that front fan failed kind of end game of the landing, and that's what caused that hard landing. And then as it's failing, you get more of the thrust out of that back back end, which tips it over forward. And then there are parameters for the auto eject. So it's auto ejection, right? So if certain things happen in an F-35B, then the, the pilot gets kicked out. He, did, he didn't, I don't know whether or not he pulled the handle in this particular case or, or whether he was auto ejected, but if- Does the A have that? Does the A no, have an auto? Wow. They don't trust the Marines, huh? 
No, it's, I mean, it's for that exact reason, for a failure at the end game of a hover where he doesn't have time to get Interesting. out. Interesting. I didn't know that. So I think the question, I don't know, but my I think he's outside of the parameters for ejection when it tips like that for the auto ejection. And then as it settles back, he's back in and the thing kicks him out. That makes sense. Uh, but I don't know. It could be that, you know, he ended up pulling the handle eventually. I'm not exactly sure, but that's that's kind of the going theory uh, and wildly inappropriate speculation going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Buckle up. It's only going to get worse. So, uh, <laughs> so I talked to a dude who he used to be in the Navy, so he's an expert, obviously. Uh, but what he was saying, and I've been told this before, that once the F-35B gets into that kind of hover mode, that the the control stick is you push forward and then that's your up down. Like that is how you start your descent is like a slight push forward on the controls. And what he was saying is if there's some like reversion in logic, like once it touched down and there was weight on wheels, it went back to trees, get bigger, trees get smaller. And so he touches down, he bounces. And as any pilot does is like, no, 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 no land. And then it's like, Oh, and the nose dipped over. Uh, so we'll find out soon and we probably won't be able to share the true, uh, what actually happened because it'd be safety privilege. But right now we can just say stuff because we haven't been yeah. briefed. That's right. So, we don't know anything. Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, hey, rain, we've been, we've been going a little bit over an hour and I don't know how many people are, uh, are still even awake <laughs> or paying attention. I'm happy to keep going because uh, we can chat. We can chat for as long as you want. The world's our oyster. They can leave. There's still people here. All I right. think uh, we probably could wrap up on the, on the F 35 here. Unless anyone has some viewer questions, but you know, I think with the F thirty five thing important, like one, obviously, all the stuff we just said was pure speculation, which I think we hate doing outside, especially in the public. Who knows what will happen? It was awesome to see the seat work. I assume he's doing okay, but if we just really peel back this onion with speculation and do some root cause analysis, I think we all can agree the problem here was we tried to make a fifth generation fighter do helicopter things. So that's right. <laughs> if, we, if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. So. Thank you for the campy bow. And then your gear comes up slower now, doesn't it, Bender? Because you got like one less hydraulic pump or something because they got to be able to do that. I don't know. It's possible. There are two things that come with the B model. One is we got the canopy bow in the A model because of the B model, because of that second fan right there, whatever. So I don't know why they can put that thing on a B model and not on my jet, but somehow we all had to have a canopy bow. That doesn't make any sense to me, but we got one. Uh, and then the other thing we have because of the B model is we all wear, um, even though I don't have auto ejection, I have to wear a special flight suit that connects my arms to the seat to pull my arms in. There's no reason to have it in the A model. Um, it's just because the flight suit came with it in the B model. Now we're all required to wear it. So thank you Marines for those two things. Uh, <laughs> I don't like them. The one good thing though we got from the C model is the landing gear is pretty beefed up. So, I mean, we don't even have the C models landing gear. Ours isn't as beefy as theirs, but it's way beefier than a Viper's. And so you can just land this thing. It doesn't even matter. You Like yesterday I had my check ride. So, you know, you have to land within the first thousand feet. So my technique is just like plant the thing at 300 feet so that I don't buy a downgrade or whatever. And I did, I just didn't, I didn't flare at all. I just aimed for the runway and smacked it down and I couldn't feel a thing. It's awesome. You don't feel anything. <laughs> Every landing, great landing. And I like that about the 35 I love nice. Bender's candor. It just <laughs> it opens up. We haven't even mentioned, you know, for those listening, I mean, you're sitting in front of a wall of leather bound books. <laughs> smells yeah. like rich mahogany. <laughs> so it's quite impressive. We can wrap up here. I got, I do have one parting shot. I did actually have a question for Paco. Yeah. 
It was a DCS question. It said um, they're about to get the F-15E in DCS. They won't put an AI backseater. How much can the front seater do alone without jumping in the back like you do? Like it's like you have to go in the back seat to drop a laser guided bomb or a, a GPS guided bomb. How much can the front seater do without a Wizzo in the back? So you can fly the 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 Strike Eagle with a pilot only administratively. With the two things you can't do, if you look in the picture here, on the, there's a there's some switches on the left side of the jet. Uh, that is the the panel that turn that powers up the targeting pod, onstows the targeting pod, arms the laser for the targeting pod, and then you can tune the um, the picture to the brightness and contrast that kind of thing. So that's one thing you can't do uh, in the F-15E. And then on the on the right side, I don't know if we have a picture of that. Is the there it is? Those are the switches for your electronic warfare and your RWR. So. If you go fly tactically air to air and uh, you would have no RWR because there's no way to turn it on. So that's the, that's the only thing you lose. So even if you're not dropping bombs, it still kind of matters. In the, this is the reason why the F-15EX, even though it has two cockpits, there's a whole bunch of politics around the why it has two and not one. Uh, one of the requirements was that it is able to be flown tactically by a pilot only in the front. So those switches are exist in both the front and the back seat, and it's weird because and every time I and I flew the EX too, so every every time I flew, I, I I would always there's like a master and a slave, and because of the way the jets wired, at least the the test ones we have initially, um, I think the pilot switch overrides the Wizzo switch for like the targeting pods, so like the pilot would have to like turn on the switch for the targeting pods, and then the back panel uh, would do the thing, and the same thing with uh, our electronic warfare, they would have to, um, I think they had to turn it on. I remember right. That's been a while. Um, I'm losing those uh, things, but yeah. So E versus EX. The E you can do mostly everything as long as you don't care about RWR. <laughs> I mean, does it even work anyways? So. Yeah. yeah just I assume. mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> just assume you're getting shot. Odds are you're probably yeah, right. yeah. yeah. probably getting shot. You're in bad guy land. You're getting shot. Yeah. yeah. Turns out when uh, when everyone has active missiles and we're all doing launch and leave tactics like the. The RWR doesn't matter as much, but man, the electronic warfare matters a ton. You can do yeah. cool stuff with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, guys, I mean, we survived, I think, the the live stream. I don't, there weren't too many technical challenges. I mean, I showed a couple different pictures randomly and erroneously, but I think we made it. I think this is a success. I think yeah. I, this could be the, the way that we just do these now because yeah. I mean, there's no post-production and all we have to do is like figure out how to magically line schedules. And this might be a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Let, let's let the uh, listeners can, can comment on the, on the YouTube and let us know. Yeah. If you liked it, drop a comment down below, like it, share it again. You can find the merge newsletter. If you're not subscribing to that, you're failing, but Paco, you now have a podcast. I know that's out there where every gear podcast as well as YouTube and then Bender and Vader got the Kodiak Shack podcast again you can get it wherever you listen to your podcast and then do you have a YouTube channel Vader? Uh, yeah it's just the there podcast but yeah that's the video so you can you can see more of the old mustache at least <laughs> until I have to go I go home for Christmas and then it'll, it'll probably get trimmed up a little because the missus isn't a big fan what? Yeah I don't know she's like nobody likes your mustache but now I have yeah. objective proof like yeah. there are two people <laughs> on the internet. That's, right. That's sad. They love it. That's they right. love it. It's well, three juice one, is like 2.5. I mean, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I, I appreciate that juice. Thank you if you're still yeah. listening. <laughs> awesome, guys. Well, I really appreciate it. This was fun. 
Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us, Rain. Boom. Man. We're out. See you, fellas. Well, I hope you enjoyed this bro chat. It was a lot of fun. Again, you can check it out on YouTube to see the live version of the things we're talking about. As always, thank you for those who left a rating review and thank you for those who are supporting the podcast via Patreon. Couldn't do it without you. And until next time.